You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Relationship Radio listeners, we welcome you every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time on America's Web Radio. We reach an international audience, and I am so appreciative of every listener who tunes in to listen to our weekly program. I'm going to talk with you about relationships this morning. I'm going to share a synopsis of how many of my patients talk about their relationships. Ready? I made up some quotes to sort of summarize how so many of us talk about our daily lives. So, quote, It's the same old thing day after day, week after week. There's nothing very interesting or exciting in my relationships. End quote. I mostly hear something like that from my patients who are married adults. From teens... I often hear, I like to play sports, I like video games, I don't like school much, I like hanging with my friends, end quote. When I ask what they do with their pals, the responses vary from just hang around to get high to nothing much. This sounds so very boring to me, but again, I'm not a teen. But I often wonder, where did the interest in one's life go? When I was thinking about interviewing today's guest, it came to me that if folks would change it up to create more interest, more fun, more learning in their lives, perhaps they would find each day interesting instead of a humdrum repetition of the day before. Life gets boring when we eat the same pizza every day. There's no passion. There's no expectation of something new. If you want to learn from a master about how to have a fascinating day, study your dog. I know that sounds simplistic, but really, dogs are such teachers. There's not a better one, not a better teacher. So each walk is something so exciting. Everything they do is is an adventure, and every sniff is is exciting. So every morning provides an occasion for chasing a ball or sniffing the spring flowers. I've never seen a bored dog. Today, our guest is a graduate of San Francisco State University, and she earned her master's and her Ph.D. in clinical psychology from Palo Alto University here in California. She works in the field of addiction and recovery at one of the country's most prestigious HMOs. She's going to share with us her thoughts about how to put interest in your life. Dr. Cummings teaches large groups of patients about how to create healthy goals for themselves. And I just think that's such a unique topic. Whoever gets to partake of that. She teaches this topic to hundreds of patients every year 
And as I said, I love the idea of setting healthy goals, and Dr. Cummings is going to teach us all about it. Welcome, Dr. Cummings. May I call you Courtney? Absolutely. Okay. We're so honored to have you with us this morning. Tell us about goals. I think that most of us have an idea about what a goal is, but let's hear it from a professional. What exactly is a goal? Sure. Can I the way I look at it is um, a goal can be considered as kind of the, the desire of a person's ambition or effort. Or in other words, uh, it's something you aim for. So, you know, we really use goals to help plan out things and to help kind of us uh, move forward in different areas of our life. Well, when I think of goals, I tend to categorize them into goals that are healthy and goals that are not so healthy. Would you tell us the difference between healthy, a healthy goal and an unhealthy goal? Yeah, if you think about it, kind of health overall refers to kind of physical, emotional, and overall psychological well-being. So I like to think of healthy goals as ones that move us kind of towards that emotional, physical, and psychological well-being compared to kind of unhealthy goals that might not necessarily move us particularly towards that, but might move us towards kind of other areas in our lives. Yeah, like in my population, some of my population that I treat Getting high is often a goal, and many people yeah. think it's healthy, but I don't. I think it's unhealthy. So Exactly. I, yeah, I tend to categorize them into goals, as I said, that are healthy and goals that are not so healthy. And would you tell us the difference between, um, uh, uh, well, you already have, between healthy and unhealthy goals. So I want to know, how do we determine what is healthy and what is unhealthy when we go about setting a goal? Yeah, usually I think a great starting point is to think about kind of what you value before setting out and creating goals. And if you think about it, um, a value is kind of a principle or quality that you consider kind of inherently worthwhile or desirable. And so the values are kind of what motivate and fulfill you. So really, if you think of them as kind of a matter of what guides you through every day and kind of every encounter and you're able to kind of use that, I think, as a starting point to set goals, then you're going to be really moving towards a life in line with your values. Hmm. So we have to know our values in order to really set a healthy goal. Is that what you're saying? I, I do. I do believe so. Okay. I do, too. Would you give us an example of some healthy goals? Sure. So, um, you know, just in kind of various uh, domains of life, like if you're thinking about physical health, I think, you know, um, something like making it to the gym three times over the next week for 40 minutes each. That would be a nice kind of healthy physical goal. Um, Something kind of relationship-focused, you know. Tell my partner I appreciate them um, at least one time each day for the next week. I think those are both just examples of both uh, physical and kind of relationship goals that are healthy overall. I think that's really, those are really nice aspirations. Some people forget their goals. (laughs) Some people follow through, but I wanted to say to the listeners on this topic that every time you set a healthy goal for yourself and you follow through with it, it's a very small or maybe very big um, foundation block for self-esteem and self-respect and for the feeling of accomplishment. So setting healthy goals 
and don't set a bunch of them, just set like a couple, um, mm-hmm. can really can, can really elevate our emotions and how we feel about ourselves. And you've said that achieving our goals makes us happy, as I just sort of said. So tell us your thoughts about this. Yeah, you know, similarly kind of to like what you were just saying about the foundation, um, you know, I think setting and achieving goals, there's research that shows that it's linked with self-confidence, motivation, and autonomy. And furthermore, what we know is, um, you know, we all have kind of this dopamine system, this reward system inside of us. And uh, what we actually know is that dopamine is released every time you experience a reward. So it's kind of reliant upon goal setting and achievement. And so as dopamine is released into the part of your brain responsible for positive rewards, then you're essentially motivated to repeat this occurrence. And so when you set goals and accomplish them, both you and your brain are rewarded. And I do think that overall makes you happy. So chemicals have a lot to do with it. Exactly. Yes, and we have no control over that, but we do have control over our behavior. So if you do the goal... Yeah, if you do the goal, your brain will take care of the rest. Can we say that? Exactly. <laughs> okay, I guess I've got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You've also said, Courtney, that when we're truly happy and fulfilled, we are less likely to engage in damaging and unhealthy behaviors. How did you come to this discovery? Well, similarly, like we were just kind of talking about that dopamine, is a lot of us um, kind of seek that out. And whether we get that more naturally by kind of creating and making uh, goals or a lot of us might get that kind of artificially from drugs and alcohol. So we also know that as humans, we are such kind of habitual behavioral creatures. So if we can get in the habit of getting dopamine naturally by by kind of engaging with in uh, behaviors that are in line with our values, then we're going to be less likely to seek out damaging behaviors that also give us that same kind of dopamine rush. Yes, and, you know, I don't know if this is your experience, but so many of the folks that come to me for counsel have no clue what their values are. Is that your experience also? Yes. And so we don't know if we, when we set a goal if that's our value. So when we're thinking of setting a goal, perhaps if health is a value, we could name the value. If I want to go to the gym three times a week, like you suggested, is the goal. We can think back, like, what is that based on? And it would be my respect for being healthy or being fit. And that's the value. Exactly. And there there are so many values that you can think about that move us forward. You know, whether exactly it's it's health, it's um, loyalty, it's responsibility, it's respect. So I think really kind of breaking down your values is a great way to start setting goals that are really going to be fulfilling. Yes. So you can sort of backwards discover what your values are instead of knowing them. Yeah. (laughs) I love that notion. (laughs) It's also been said that by recording one's dreams and goals on paper, you set in motion the process of becoming the person you most want to be. What is your experience with having your patients write down their healthy goals? You know, I do, um, you know, agree with that kind of thing and that concept. Because if you think about it, we all kind of go day to day thinking about things we want to kind of achieve and attain. 
but a lot of times we don't necessarily kind of break it down in a way that makes it achievable. And I think writing it down is one way to kind of do that, to kind of get it on paper. And then as we'll talk about, you know, you can really break it down in kind of different areas that overall can help you reach your goal. I also think that when we write something down, we're kind of processing, um, you know, what we're trying to achieve in, in kind of different senses. You know, we're processing it within our motor cortex because we're writing it down. We're seeing it on paper. If you, you know, you kind of read it, that's another way that then you're hearing it out loud. So I think that's just a way to really kind of reinforce it by getting it down there on paper. Well, I have a hundred goals. Should I write them all down? What strategy should I use? And we're coming up on a hard break, so um, I may have to cut you off in your answer. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that because that's true. We all have a lot of different goals. So what do we do? We write them all down? No. You know, I mean, that's one option, you know, if, if that's helpful for you to write them down to kind of then categorize them into which ones are more important. But I think this is when going back to your values might be really helpful, and then you can okay. kind of narrow it down. So, Dr. Cummings, I'm going to have to break us, and listeners, we will be right back with Dr. Courtney Cummings discussing how to set healthy goals. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Dr. Courtney Cummings discussing healthy and unhealthy goals and how to set them. And before the break, we were talking about my 100 goals and if I should write them down or not and what strategy I should use. So maybe, Dr. Cummings, you could pick up where we left off before the break. 
Absolutely. Yeah, as I'm saying, you know, I think that's very typical that we all have kind of a lot of different goals in our life. So I think kind of breaking them down, first off, I think by doing a quick kind of values review, thinking what your values are. So then you can kind of prioritize goals that are in line with your values. And then, as we'll kind of talk about in a little bit, you can even break them down more into kind of what are the goals that are more attainable in kind of a time period, because we do want to focus on getting that dopamine reward, and we get that by achieving and reaching our goals. Hmm, I like that. And on the other side of the spectrum, what are unhealthy goals? Like I've had many teams say, my goal for today is to go out with my pals in the park and get high. So I don't talk to them in healthy, unhealthy goal vernacular, but that's a pretty unhealthy goal if you ask me. What are your thoughts about what unhealthy goals are? Yeah, you know, I love that example because I think there are kind of blatantly unhealthy goals, and then there are also goals that necessarily, uh, that might not necessarily appear unhealthy, but they're also not really helping you live a life in line with your values. So that's actually why I think reviewing your values prior to creating goals can be helpful because there are ones that are definitely blatantly unhealthy in the sense that they don't promote physical, emotional, or psychological kind of overall health, but then there are also goals that just aren't living a life in line with their values, which personally I think is unhealthy as well. So I think really kind of reviewing your values prior can be a great way to help you kind of start to break down those categories. I, I like that concept that you just gave us, and I gave one example of an unhealthy goal or my version of it. Do you have any other examples of unhealthy goals that people often have? Yeah, you know, when I was I was thinking about this and I wanted to kind of, you know, give some examples that weren't necessarily blatantly unhealthy but might not be kind of living a, line, uh, a life in line with your values. I mean, I think, yeah, something like I want to get as high or as kind of wasted as I can is definitely unhealthy. I think about other goals that can be unhealthy might be something like, uh, you know, making it through school by cheating and not getting caught, you know, because that's mm-hmm. not maybe living a life in line with the value of honesty. Or, um, you know, maybe in relationships, it's, you know, don't get caught by my spouse kind of lying, whatever that might look like. Or even, you know, um, being able to disobey the law without getting caught. And so these are goals that people might not even realize they they have, but that's kind of uh, how they're kind of stepping through their life. And if they really were to sit down and think of their values, those might not actually be goals that match up. Therefore, those could be some really unhealthy goals. Uh, I really like what you just uh, how you just explained that because honestly, when I'm late for work, <laughs> my goal is to get there before I'm late, and so my respect for the law and the driving rules, the speed limit, goes out the window. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really sat to clarify is getting to work late. Um, or on time of value of mine, or is it paying the speed limit of value, or are they sometimes contrary to each other? And I think our listeners have to figure all of that out for themselves, and it's an interesting and productive way of sorting out how we want to live our lives. Exactly. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what's the most productive way of setting a goal, and what are the guidelines 
You know, one way to look at it that I really think is helpful is if you think of goals as SMART, and that essentially stands for you want your goals to be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-limited. Could you repeat that? Sure. You want your goals to be SMART, and the SMART acronym stands for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Time-Limited. I love that. So um, taking those one by one, let's talk about the idea of of setting specific goals. What do you mean by that, specific goals? Sure. So when we're thinking about setting goals that are specific, we want them to be kind of simplistically written, and we want to clearly define what you are going to do. So let's say someone was in recovery and their goal was to go to uh, AA meetings. We would want them to make it more specific. For example, I'm going to go to the AA meeting on Wednesday the you know 25th at 4 p.m. at this location with these two friends. That's the way to make it really specific. I really respect that idea because if I say, oh, I'm going to go to a meeting sometime this week, that's not specific enough. Is that correct? Exactly. What does that mean? Then we don't know, right? What that, and that's the way you can kind of push your goal off. Well, I didn't choose which day, so I could do it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Then you're less likely to achieve it. And also by doing the specificity, it, it gives our life some structure. Yeah, and it makes it easier. Um, it does it, and we can just put it on the calendar or put it on our phone and set an alarm, and we know that is it. And then when we have a specific goal, we have structure to our day or to our week. Love that idea. Now let's talk about measurable. How does one measure a goal? So first I like to just think of why would we want to measure a goal. We would want to measure them because we want to have tangible evidence that you accomplish the goal because then that's when we can kind of get that dopamine reward. So usually the entire goal is a measure for the project, but there's usually several kind of short-term or smaller measurements built into the goal. So an example I would give is someone says, I want to stay sober. Well, I think that's lovely, and that is a great goal, to stay sober forever. But that's hard to kind of measure and reward yourself. When is forever? So how about, you know, I want to stay sober by not drinking tonight and recording my sobriety date. And that's the way now that we've combined it being both specific and measurable. And I have a lot of patients who say, I want to, I'll make this up, I want to lose 100 pounds. And that just seems like it's just too far off if you're 100 pounds overweight and it can get um, self-defeating. And so instead of saying, this week I'd like to lose one pound and I'm going to, and and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm not going to eat up at 8 o'clock. Yes, and operationalizing it. Exactly. So then we come to attainable. So we've covered specific and measurable. Now attainable. How do we determine if our goal is attainable or not? So the way I like to think about this is, you know, you want your goal to stretch you a little bit 
So you do feel challenged, and then you feel accomplished, but we also want it defined well enough so you can achieve it. We want it achievable and attainable. You know, we need you to uh, uh, kind of have the appropriate knowledge, skills, and abilities to achieve the goal. And so, really, we can meet almost any goal if we plan our steps wisely and establish a time frame that allows you to carry out the steps. And so, if you kind of break it down and do it step by step, then you'll actually be able to um, achieve goals that might have seemed unattainable, like you said, losing that 100 pounds. So, if the goal is impossible, you might not even try to accomplish it. We know achievable goals motivate people, and impossible goals can demotivate them. Yes, and I want to go back to my introduction to today's program about the ho-hum-humdrum life. It seems to me if we have relevant uh, or attainable and measurable goals, our life gets to be more interesting. We have something to focus on that's out of the ordinary. Do you agree? Exactly. I would completely agree. It does. It gives us a little kind of spice to our life, and then we're also getting that that true dopamine release. It uh, it really kind of moves us forward in life. Yes. Now, relevance is another criterion for good goal setting, and what's meant by that? So relevance really just refers to the concept on focusing on something that makes sense with your overall kind of broader life goals or what I like to really consider your values. You know, you want your goal to be relevant to your values because we know then that's more likely to do a few things, to give you the dopamine, and you're more likely to want to achieve that because it's a goal in line with how you really feel about yourself and the world and your goals. Hmm. I like that idea. And lastly, so we've covered specific, measurable, attainable relevant, and the last one is time-limited. The idea of having a goal to be time-limited seems important. What are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. I think this is something that really is important because, you know, if they're not time-bound, if we don't have kind of a time frame of achieving them, then we, first off, we don't really necessarily have a practical sense of, of urgency. It can result in tension between our current reality and the vision of goals. So we need a little, a little tension. We need to know that it's time-bound. So that's where I go back to that, okay, uh, being sober forever or, you know, being nice to my wife forever. That's, that's kind of obscure and vague. So, you know, making it time-bound and limited as a way so that way you can have structure, like you said, you can operationalize it, and then we know when to reward ourselves. Just saying, you know, be sober today. We're coming up on a break, uh, Courtney, and listeners, we will be right back on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio with Dr. Courtney Cummings, talking about healthy and unhealthy goals. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Quick Stakes. 
That's Q-U-I-K Steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners. We're so excited to have you here today on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Dr. Courtney Cummings discussing goal setting, which we often don't really investigate. And Dr. Cummings, I want to go to New Year's Eve, even though this is not the holiday season. It seems like every New Year's Eve, so many of us, and myself included, set goals for the New Year, and around February, the goals are long forgotten. How would you suggest to set ourselves up for success in keeping our goals other than what we've already discussed? Yeah, I think with that one in particular, you know, and I'm so glad you brought it up because that is a concept I think really as society a lot of people kind of latch on to, you know, setting a goal for the new year. And I love that because that's great. You are setting a goal for over the year at the same time as we kind of discussed. That's a long-term goal. I think if you can break down that overall goal, maybe like you said, it's to lose weight and maybe it's, you know, you want to lose 50 pounds over the year. Well, how do we maybe break that down into weekly goals? So that would be kind of my key advice is thinking about the larger goal and then breaking it down into smaller, achievable, attainable goals. Okay. Now, I remember so many of my years when my goal was to lose some weight and I wasn't specific, that I'd be really devoted to sticking to one or another diet and then something would happen. Someone would call and invite me to lunch or dinner and I'd hesitate, especially if the invitation was to a place that served my favorite food in the whole world, sourdough French bread. (laughs) Then I'd tell myself that the place where we were going had food I could eat 
and I'd go to lunch. And almost every single time I'd give in and eat enough sourdough bread to gain out back most of what I'd lost while on my New Year's diet. And then I'd say, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. And I suspect many of our listeners can relate to my experiences with weight goals. But Dr. Cummings, do you have any suggestions about how to create successes for ourselves when we're invited to activities that would almost surely cause us to disrespect our goals or give them up altogether? Yeah, I think with that in particular, there's a few different things you can do. You know, one is having kind of accountability. Maybe you have a goal buddy, you know, and maybe that person or even if you just let someone know what your goal is before going to that lunch. So then you have someone there that's able to kind of uh, be in your corner and kind of help remind you of your goal. And I also think that it's important that, you know, our goals are kind of intrinsic because then we're more likely to reach them. Intrinsic goals are ones that aim to build kind of deep and lasting relationships with others and yourself. We want to make sure we don't emphasize too greatly on achieving fortune and fame while disregarding our intrinsic goals. So I think that can be another way to kind of um, help balance that and make sure that we have goals that we don't want to give up that easy because there's something we really value. Hmm. That is such an interesting perspective because I know in some of the population I treat, uh, if people are clean and sober and they want a buddy to help them with their goal of remaining clean and sober today, if their buddy is a fellow addict who's not in recovery, there's no way that um, my goal, if I'm making up this example about myself, that my goal of being clean and sober for the day is going to matter or is going to be supported. So as an aside, Courtney, how do we select appropriate goal buddies I think thinking about exactly kind of you said, right, like taking a little perspective. Now, even though you might have someone that has a similar goal as you, they might be someone that's also still struggling with kind of getting on track or meeting that goal. So getting someone with a little more uh, momentum, having some more kind of tools under their belt and more successes that can kind of almost be like a coach that can really continue to encourage you, I think can be really important. That's why something like a sponsor in recovery, somebody that has longer-term recovery and has kind of gone through their own goals can be very helpful. Okay, so when we get a goal buddy, we need to have somebody who will help us be accountable. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. let me make up this thing because this would tick me off, but it would also be accountability. So if I got my husband to look at the scale with me every morning, that's accountability, but that would tick me off. So how do we, off the top of your head, how do we get a, a, an accountability person, buddy, who wouldn't tick us off? <laughs> I think that's a great question, and I think this is when communication is so key. And that's also when sometimes having someone a little too close 
to you cannot be as helpful because that might be someone you already have this relationship with that you kind of have a maybe a subconscious, you know, you're looking out for them kind of nagging you and, and things like that. But that's also where then communication is so important, telling somebody how they can support you. Do you want them to look at the scale with you every day? Do you want them to check in with you once a week? Do you want them to check in with you every hour? Do you want them to check in by saying, are you still sober? How much did you eat today? Or kind of what is it that would feel helpful? And I think this is when communication is so important. I agree. Now, I know that uh, I go to the gym I would love to say on a regular basis that that would not be true. But I keep myself accountable by having a trainer who is objective and she knows if I show up or not. So maybe just having somebody outside your close group of friends or family as an accountability partner would be the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Now, uh, Courtney, I know that you work with recovering addicts in the mental health clinic, and what types of goals do people trying to deactivate an addiction set? Well, what I kind of think about when I'm thinking about addiction and goals is, you know, is really that reward center and that kind of dopamine rush. A lot of um, people within the kind of recovery community or that are working on addiction don't necessarily realize, because it might be subconscious, but their goal is to get as much of a dopamine rush as they can. And the way they're used to getting that is by getting high or using drugs or drinking alcohol. And so a lot of times what we're working on kind of deactivating is kind of helping them to get some space between that and slowly realizing that they're going to be able to get dopamine other ways that are natural and healthy, but also giving them the time and space to know that 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 might take a little bit and that rush might not be kind of as much. And so I think really giving them that space, that understanding, and that non-judgment can really help them to try to kind of deactivate that addiction set. And and when you're helping them with that, do you talk, do you use that word deactivate? I do at times because sometimes it can be helpful for people to, to kind of really wrap their their head around the fact that, yeah, they already have something that's kind of active in them. And so we need to work on kind of breaking that down or finding another way to kind of get in there and give them that dopamine. Hmm. Oh, well, what are your challenges? What have you found? Well, you know, once again, I think we're also behavioral and habitual that I think we've found that it can be such a challenge because a lot of people that have been drinking or using have really reinforced the habit of getting high and the rush from drugs and alcohol because it's powerful and they get that um, that dopamine rush. So they have to be really, um, I think, able to reframe how they view enjoyment and kind of this is where values can come in because it's true, they're challenged for them. You know, their kind of frontal lobe, this executive functioning of their brain has kind of been hijacked by the disease of drugs and alcohol. And so now we have to really reframe the way they're thinking, and that can be a huge challenge. And I think really providing a lot of support and structure can be so, so helpful in this context. Yes, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking about weight loss, which many of us are challenged by. And 
often we use food as a salve to heal a wound or um, as a way of filling that empty place in our bodies or our minds. And that never works because then we all make up something, then we binge, and then we shame ourselves and beat ourselves up with all this negative mm-hmm. self-talk. You're a loser. You shouldn't have done that. You're going to not be able to fit into your pants, so on and so forth. So I think that um, even though food can or might not be an addiction, there are other things that in life that spread out to the concepts of addiction and how we think of it and what the challenges are to all of us because we get into these habits that become um, unconscious. We just do them. We've repeated them over and over and over, and they become hardwired in our brain. So how we break habits is also really important, and perhaps we can get a clue about how to do that by setting new different goals for ourselves so they will be conscious. Exactly. Any thoughts about that? I just I completely agree, and I think that you're exactly right. That kind of whether it's conscious or subconscious, we already have these habits, and the way to kind of break them is by setting a structure and kind of operationalizing your goals. So you have kind of uh, something you're setting out to do, and you have that structure. And we're not necessarily just stuck in this habitual behavioral cycle. That as humans, it's kind of natural for us to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how do you help? folks set healthy goals for their recovery? I think, you know, one way is providing them with kind of uh, non-judgment, and I look at myself as a coach. You know, someone that's going to, you know, you think of a basketball coach. If somebody, you know, made a shot and let's say they missed, you would probably want to say something, um, you know, like, oh, well, at least you hit the backboard, and maybe (laughs) next time you can kind of, set it or, you know, shoot it from this angle. So really helping people, working with people to kind of identify what their values are and then to operationalize their goals can be a great way to help kind of start to set and structure healthy goals. I really agree with you because uh, from my experience with addiction and food issues and relationship problems, people kind of blossom with a new way or a new approach to um, breaking habits. Well, I don't call it breaking habits. I call it a new way of looking at things, a reframe of how we do things. Uh, Any comments on that? I just, you know, I, I completely agree. I think it can be really invigorating when we have a new way of approaching life because we get stuck in the same kind of rudimentary routine a lot. And that can be a good way to kind of give some spice to our life and then actually release that dopamine. Exactly. And we're coming up on a break, but I'm going to leave this with this question, listeners. We're going to come back to this with Dr. Courtney Cummings. Uh, Cummings. Does shame accompany the abdication of a goal? As we go to our break, I'd like you to think about that, all listeners, because this is shame is a huge issue for many of us. So we're going to take a break, and we will be back with Dr. Courtney Cummings on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio in a few moments.
45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. This is Daryl Pullis, inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. As I said before the break, we are here with Dr. Courtney Cummings, and we're coming back to my question about shame. Does shame accompany the abdication of a goal? What do you think? Yeah, I actually think it absolutely can, and I think that's why it's so important to discuss goals and set them out in a way that is um, small and achievable so we can start to reinforce positive experiences. You know, something I like to think about um, is our brain has kind of an innate negativity bias that is there for kind of survival. You know, if you think back to when we were kind of at the watering hole and, you know, we hear some rustling in the bushes, we had to be prepared. And so that means, this is a quote I really like, our brain is kind of like Velcro for the bad and Teflon for the good. And that mechanism was created for survival. But what that also does is that can help give us a lot of shame. We can pay attention to negative things when we mess up and we don't make our goals. And so what we need to do then is that's where I come in and say kind of viewing things as a coach and knowing, okay, well, we're getting closer. And how did we view this as a learning experience? And how can we kind of move forward and not let this shame kind of take away from our momentum? Yes, I like that because shame just is gut-wrenching and we often don't even realize that we are feeling shamed. So uh, I want to move on from this, though. I also know that you work with teens and young adults and their families, and I just want to say God bless you. Um, tell, tell us more about what you do when you work in that capacity. Sure. So I primarily work with teens and families when the teens are kind of struggling with substance use themselves. And um, a lot of what we do is, you know, working with them to kind of help understand where where they're coming from and their family and kind of get them unified together on uh, similar goals and also really help the family communication. 
a lot of times we know that um, it can be kind of almost a family systems issue. And we also mm-hmm. know that alcohol and drug use has a huge genetic predisposition. So kind of viewing it as a family disease can also be helpful, especially because we know that in young teens, their brains aren't fully developed. And sometimes they need a little more guidance. Yes, and I say God bless you because this I've done this work before. This is really hard, complicated work. And honestly, I believe that it takes a really creative person to do this kind of work because sometimes you just have to think out of the backside of your pocket in order to address, yeah, in order to address a problem that's maybe new or unique to the family. And any comments about that? Yeah, just I think exactly what you said. You know, you really you are pulling a lot of things out of your pocket because sometimes they're just they're saying what comes on the top of their mind. And sometimes also they don't necessarily have the capacity to really kind of think fully about their future. So, yeah, that, yes. Moment. yes, and I know that many teens who the goal is to get high and to stay high and live high. And how do you help them to rethink their goals and create their positive ones? Well, I think first is having the understanding that literally with teens, their brain isn't fully developed. And what we know is the last thing kind of to develop is that frontal lobe. And that helps us kind of weigh out the pros and cons and helps us make decisions and executive decisions and um, help us with planning. So already knowing that teens have a limitation in that, then they're not able to necessarily think about, you know, the bigger picture. And for them, it's in the moment. I just want to get high. And so part of it is involving the family and figuring out, well, what is it that the family and the teen really values? Maybe they do have a future goal of going to college or having a job or having a family. And then what we have to do, the kind of creative part, is then taking that back and tying that in with kind of a present goal that is linked to the future goal, but that's something very short and time limited because we know teens can't really think to the future and they need to be kind of rewarded for small baby steps along the way. I think you said that really, really well. And I think many of us parents, and I include myself in that when my kids were teenagers, don't realize that. We think, well, they should have known. And I say, no, they shouldn't have. And by the way, I have three books about what to do when we know they shouldn't have known. (laughs) Um, So here's a quote from Steve Garvey about goals. And he said, you have to set goals that are almost out of reach. If you set a goal that is attainable without much work or thought, you are stuck with something below your true talent and potential. And I rather like this quote because I wonder how we determine what's an attainable goal and what is not. Yeah, I I like that goal also because and something I we talked about a little bit a little bit earlier is we do want the goal to stretch us slightly. We want to feel a little challenge. That way we get that that dopamine and that reward and it reinforces us when we do reach it. But at the same time, if it's unattainable, then we're going to get that, we're going to kind of get down on ourselves. So I actually think a great way to determine kind of what is attainable is really going back to that smart goal kind of criteria and breaking it down and operationalizing it and thinking of what is attainable within kind of a week and making smaller steps. Hmm. 
Yes, and I also like what Pavel Picasso said. This is one of my very favorite things. Our goals can only be reached through the vehicle of a plan in which we must fervently believe and upon which we must vigorously act, and there's no other route to success. How do you help your patients create a plan so that they can have a success? I think the main thing, like we kind of talked about a little bit, is really breaking it down into kind of those, those smart goals. It's, I think, something else that's really important to kind of help patients create a plan for success is really I consider, I think of myself kind of as a coach and as things as, as a learning experience. So if you have maybe something that wasn't so successful, what can we take away from that and kind of reframe that as, okay, well, I learned that maybe setting a goal of five pounds over a week was, was too much, but three pounds is better. So I think really kind of being able to uh, be a little more open and willing to kind of reframe and restructure without the judgment, but also making sure you have some type of guidelines and following uh, something to kind of give you that, that structure in the first place. Yes, and I like that. And this is all what we've been talking about is how to have a good relationship with oneself. But do you have any thoughts about how having healthy goals make your personal relationships, your interpersonal relationships better? Yeah. Well, you know, and, you know, we talked about you can have goals that are directly related to your interpersonal relationships. But even if you have goals that aren't directly related to your interpersonal relationships, but are healthy that help promote kind of overall emotional, physical, and psychological well-being, then, and if you want to think about it, then we're living a life in line with our values. We're going to feel more fulfilled, and then we're going to be less likely to seek out those destructive behaviors like drinking or using or things that might kind of get in the way of our relationship. So I think when we have goals and we're achieving them, we feel better about ourselves. We're living a, lot, a life in line with our values, and then we're more likely to kind of continue on that path. And I do think that's going to build happier interpersonal relationships. Yes, and I agree with you. And also, in romantic relationships, boy, if you share a goal with your partner, that is cement not only to the romance, but to the relationship, because we do know that romance can be chemical, or starts with chemicals. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more we ha- have goals, short-term goals with our partners, I think it just um, enriches the relationship. Now, Dr. Cummings, could you give us your top three ways that you assist people with reaching their goals? Sure. I think the first is really being supportive with kind of no judgment. So that way people feel they can be honest and really tell me what their goal is and what might be getting in the way of their goal. I think something else is also breaking down the goals like we were talking about so they are attainable and achievable. Because once again, if we don't reach them, we're not going to feel good about ourselves. And then I think the last thing I really try to keep in my mind is that our brains are kind of neuroplastic. They have this quality about them. That means that we, we have a choice about what experiences we want to help shape our brain. So I think helping to empower patients to help them set out and choose goals that's going to shape their brain into having more positive and meaningful relationships, I think that is a great thing as well. 
I do too. And is there a way that our listeners can reach out to you if they have a question about uh, setting goals? Absolutely. They're welcome to email me. My email is CourtneyCummingsPhD at gmail.com. And could you spell your last name for us? Sure. My last name is spelled C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. And I guess this is in reverse order, but your first name is spelled a little differently than most of us spell Courtney. Could you spell that? Absolutely. That's going to be spelled C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y. You can imagine Courtney. Courtney. I love that. (laughs) Well, um, I think that your assistance to us today has just been amazing, and you've helped so many of us. And I think when we get off the air, I'm going to set a goal for the day, and I will write it down, and I will make it measurable, and I will tell somebody about it, and um, I'll try to be smart about it, which is what we were talking about earlier. Now, um, yeah, so I want to say setting healthy goals with a partner can also be difficult in one's life, as we just said. So experiment with this. Do you know what your partner or your spouse's or your significant other's goals are? It's a great conversation waiting to be had. And I know this personally. My husband and I have had great fun selecting what small portion of our yard we're going to weed. (laughs) And he pulls the hard ones and I pull the easy ones. And we do it together. And we have wonderful conversations while weeding. And we set a weeding time limit. And ours is usually 45 minutes. And we set a timer. And when it goes off to indicate that it's time to stop, we stand up, arm in arm, and we view our accomplishment. And we experience the greatest satisfaction. And we congratulate each other on what a great job we did. And especially with the, with the huge dandelions that are a struggle to remove. Those are awful. Dr. Cummings, I want to thank you so much for being our wonderful guest this morning. And listeners, until next week, remember, only you have the power to make your world the way you want it to be. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.